Welcome back to In the Queue Film Conversations with Andrew and Phil. I'm your co-host, Phil. And today's film is from Colombia. But I swear I could see some resonances with some famous American films from Ooh. many years past. Oh, I'll, I'll be very curious to hear what that is. Not just American films, actually. Other, I was going to say, there's a, yeah. yeah. What is Vim Vendors among them? Yeah, yeah, he's in there. <laughs> Maybe. But, but okay. I was thinking of others. Okay, well, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm your other co-host. And uh, I remember watching this film in the theater when it came out and really being entranced by it and hadn't really thought about it since. And our guest today, Leticia, recommended it. And at first I couldn't I – was, I, I was having a conversation with Phil and I was like, is that that – that vampire movie. <laughs> he was like, no, you idiot. Embrace of the vampire. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, Oh yeah. Embrace of the serpent. Holy cow. And it all came flooding back to me. And I, I got a, I feel like I got a lot more out of this film on the second viewing than I did the first time. I feel like the first time was more experiential. And this time I feel like I was able to really, uh, embrace it, <laughs> so to speak. Wow. <laughs> That was a very serpentine way of making a point. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, That was a good show. Uh, the film we're talking about today is Embrace of the Serpent, and we have a new guest on the program joining us today. Leticia is here from Montreal. Leticia, say hi to everybody, please. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yes. Here. Well, we're glad that you're here. Very happy to have and you. And we're going to have uh, a nice discussion about this film, Embrace of the Serpent, which was... Colombia's representative uh, at the Oscars that year for Best Foreign Language Film. It was. Um, before we get into the discussion, I want to tell you guys out there, of course, where you can find us on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q.com. We also have a Facebook page. Search Facebook for In The Q. Q-U-E-U-E is how that's spelled. And on both those places, you'll find all of our episodes. On the Facebook page, you'll find articles and other things that we post to kind of supplement the discussion. And also on Facebook, you can get in touch with us if you want to be on the program like Leticia is today. Also, we have a Twitter. It is at ITQ Podcast. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes or on different podcast aggregates like Podcast or Overcast and who knows what else. So we're going to dive right into the discussion uh, of the film. Before I give you guys a little plot summary of the movie, I was wondering if, Leticia, could you tell us a little bit about why it is you wanted to talk about this particular film? Well, it's a movie about a breaking point between two cultures. And I like that it's it's not... not prejudges and and mm. uh, not guilty either for any any of them it's like uh, also it's a search of identity mm-hmm. uh, between um, between all the characters mm-hmm. but uh, through the past the languages and also it's a search for for knowledge mm-hmm. and uh, but the main uh, the main uh, the main reason and I could say the most simple one is, I think, is one of the most beautiful movies I have ever seen about uh, shamanism and spirituality. Wow, yeah. Well, those are all great reasons. And they all kind of 
emphasize different aspects of this film that are all really strong. Um, it's a it's a very visually impressive movie, and uh, it's shot in black and white. It takes place entirely in the Amazon jungle, and uh, there were there were all kinds of associations that I had, as I mentioned in the beginning, with other films that I've seen. And this always happens whenever you've seen as many movies as I have. <laughs> you just can't stop but like reference other things. But the story of this film, it's it kind of. The, the Amazon River is kind of like a character in the story, and it's like a river journey type of film where uh, it takes place as characters are going into the jungle on a search of, of some kind. And it follows one character in particular who is uh, a native to the jungle. I believe his name, his name is Karamakate, mm -hmm. uh, who, and it follows him over a period of a couple of decades where we see him as he meets a, uh, a Swiss explorer, I believe, is uh, Theo is his name, who comes to the jungle in search of a certain plant Theo called the Yakuruna. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the film also kind of jumps in time a few decades later where the same native is helping another white man uh, in a similar quest. Searching and, for the same plant, in fact. Exactly. Yeah, the, the, you could say the exact same quest. Mm -hmm. And so the film kind of alternates between these two moments in time. And one one way that I thought it was very elegant, the way it'll transition, it seems to happen whenever they're actually on the river. Whenever the, the, the protagonists are paddling along the river, that seems to be when it will transition from one period to the next, as if it's like, you know, time itself is a river and it just kind of you can jump in and out of it uh, when you're when you're on it, when you're in the middle of it. Um, and that I'll make my first reveal of my illusions, <laughs> that alternation between the past and the present reminded me of Godfather Part Two. Oh, sure. in the way that it goes from an older character to a younger character um, throughout. But. In, in Godfather Part Two, it seems to be more regulated strictly by movie time, um, which means like every 15 or every 10 minutes, there'll be some kind of a major event in the life of Vito Corleone, and it'll go back to his past. Like It's pretty regular, like clockwork. But in Embrace of the Serpent, it's, it's a little bit more spaced out. Like There's sometimes where we spend a good like half an hour with one uh, version of time before we go back to another. And the other, the other illusion that I was feeling was Aguirre, the wrath of God. Oh, yeah. for sure. Uh, yeah. Werner Herzog, which, uh -huh. uh, which I feel like that film Herzog's film is like, it's almost like the archetype for this type of story, you know? Yeah. Uh, or, or specific to South America and also, you know, a, a mad quest that's risk. You risk your life on this quest to find something elemental like, you know, a plant. But you don't uh, think it's more like a Fitz, Fitzgeraldo? I was going to say, that's, I was going to say the same thing, Leticia. I think so, because then, then Aguirre, I think it, it matches uh, more, mostly for the team, mm -hmm. but also the way that it's expressing, I mean, the, the, the Indian life. And, well, I have a lot of comments about Fitzgeraldo, but I would like to hear you guys 
before I say something. Well, I want to I want to hear those comments. And yes, I know I agree with you that it does remind me of Fitzcarraldo as well. Um, that's definitely one of the other films. But uh, Andrew, let's what what are your thoughts about um, the overall film? Sure. I sure. love. I want to hear more <laughs> about the Fitzcarraldo illusions, but I wanted to give you a moment to to speak before we get into the the deeper part of the discussion. Absolutely. I'll I'll, I'll try to be brief with it, and I'll also say that I, another obvious comparison would be Apocalypse Now, um, mm-hmm. a trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, down the river you know uh and into one's own psyche and madness and madness the kind of perils of colonialism and all of you know yeah exactly all of this stuff is is layered in and it feels very uh, similar but i think that this movie takes it in a very different and refreshingly different direction um uh it is as you said leticia this this it doesn't really it doesn't judge any of its characters, right? It, it, uh, I think that most of these examples that we brought up with the possible exception of Fitzcarraldo, which I'm very interested in get, getting into that conversation with the possible exception, exception of Fitzcarraldo, it's got a very negative viewpoint of its protagonist, right? Apocalypse now does not think too highly of Kurtz or Martin Sheen's Willard. character. Willard. Yeah. Uh, a gear of the wrath of God definitely doesn't think highly of uh, Klaus Kinski's character again, whose name I can't think of. Goodness gracious! Um, oh, he's got a very long name. Yeah, like, it's a uh, massive name. Yeah, like a Spanish. I don't name. remember I it. Yeah, yeah. I don't Just say Aguirre. Yeah, Aguirre. <laughs> there we go. Um, but but this film is understanding of all of its characters, even the the colonialists, and even the 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 people who have essentially destroyed the civilizations of the native civilizations of the Amazon in their quest for rubber and capitalism at all. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even these, uh, these men are portrayed as knowledge seekers, or at least the ones that we, that we are on the journey with, right? They're portrayed as knowledge seekers. They're genuinely, for the most part, interested in learning, not necessarily in dominating or uh, exploiting or any of those sorts of things. Well, not yet. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> first, yes. first, they got to get the knowledge before they can take the next because, step. Because they made some comments, no, like uh, they are gonna do sure. something with the with with this plant if if they find it. Yeah, it's it's implicit somewhere. Yeah, well, there's, he's, the, towards you know, the end, he says the, uh, you know, he needs the the plant because it it increases the purity of the rubber on the on the yeah, trees exactly, that it grows on, like that. and they need like a, high purity rubber, uh, and in order to make war machines, essentially. Uh, this is why the end has so much conflict. Yeah. To 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 continue, uh, because he has a mission, and it's it's not that one. Yeah, and and I will I'll uh, I'll say that. To, to all of our listeners out there, we are going to get into some of the finer details of the film. So if you haven't seen it, this is your spoiler alert. We're going to be talking about a lot of the stuff, including the ending of the film. So uh, if you have not seen the film, turn it off. Uh, I will say for those who have not seen it, it is definitely worth seeing. Check it out. Um, but if you haven't seen it, come back to us once you have and listen to the rest of this podcast. Um, but to that point, uh, I think that he is revealed to be... Uh, 
all of the negative things that we associate with the the sort of white colonialists until Karamakate sort of, uh, you know, takes him, you know, he makes, he, he has him speak to copy as they say. Uh, mm-hmm. And he becomes uh, one of the Koyuna tribe, if I'm pronouncing that right, which I could be not. Um, and so there's this mirroring image right, right in the beginning of the film, we see him, standing ankle deep in the water and all of these butterflies flying around. And one of the most indelible images from this film, this beautiful image. Mm-hmm. And he's in that, in that moment, he's centered in the frame. It's almost overwhelming looking at it. And then at the end of the film, the last image that we see uh, in the film is this white man standing in the lower right corner of the frame, ankle deep in the water, surrounded by these same butterflies. Um mm-hmm. It's really a striking. What do you think? I mean, well, <laughs> well, we can we can get all into the <laughs> the metaphysical and the the kind of thematic elements of this because I think it's really rich. Um, and as I said, I think I was able to approach that stuff a little bit better this time around because the first time it was just such an experiential thing watching this mm-hmm. film. It was just kind of it, it just kind of washes over you, and. Yeah. Uh, and this second time, I was able to sort of parse it a little bit better. I feel like and and uh, understand it uh, a little bit more. Well, Leticia, tell us a little bit about more about how you feel the film kind of echoes Fitzcarraldo, mm. and and maybe we can also get into maybe what some of the more overt symbolism is in the story. Like, of course, Fitzcarraldo has a very mammoth symbol at its heart you know pulling a <laughs> ship over a mountain yeah but in terms of uh were there any kind of other similarities or, or shared feelings that you noticed as with that film well for me it was uh something that has bothered me all the time about Fitzgerald is this uh everybody said that it's about dreams and it's about uh you know to take the absurdity uh beyond uh your possibilities but for me as i don't know it's a it's a cultural shock every uh-huh. time that i see it yeah. and and i don't want to say like if i bring a movie to the present and it was made in the past probably it doesn't belong here i i'm not saying that it's only that for me it was full of of absurdities and in this case uh the opera uh, you know yeah. this this mm-hmm. mention about art and it's there also in in the embrace of the serpent is the, the this music too but i think also that the embrace of, uh, of the serpent is is very poetic and it's very romantic in a way because it's showing us something that we we would like uh, to be true and and mm. And also probably there's a truth there um, uh, in a mm-hmm. sociological, anthropological way. But it's also very romantic. I think if if you go farther, I mean, to very like a, a documentary, you will see that it's not like that. So for me, Fitzgeraldo is a little bit, uh, it's, it's, it's the opposite of this, <laughs> totally, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, well... I'm I'm a big fan of the documentary that was made about Fitzcarraldo, which is called Burden of Dreams yes, the Burnt by Les Blank. I actually yeah. think that film supersedes Fitzcarraldo in what it was trying to do. I think it's oh, actually 
I'm uh, agreeing with you. Totally. <laughs> I think it really kind of gets those themes that Herzog didn't yeah. quite elaborate on. Um, but yeah, so you you said that this film that Embrace the Serpent has something romantic about it. And I mean, listen to the name Embrace. Like that's 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 a very kind of loving way to to speak in the title of the film. Um, the the idea of like a, a river journey as a film, like in fits in a Apocalypse Now, you know, you're, it's like the, going down the river is like a journey into yourself. Mm-hmm. There's another movie that I wanted to uh, bring up. And it's funny, Andrew, that you mentioned Vim Vendors at the beginning of the show, yeah, because yeah. I think that if you look at Jim Jarmusch's film, Dead, Dead Man, Man yeah. you're going to find a, a similar kind of a psychedelic black and white aesthetic. But at the same time, even though that movie is really Jim Jarmusch's style, I think Jarmusch was heavily influenced by Vim Vendors. Yeah, no question. And there's a certain kind of static quality to Vendors' work and a lot of Jarmusch's work and this film. This movie is – the visual style is what I would call pictorial because nearly every shot is almost like a photograph or a moving painting. Yeah. Like the camera is usually very static. It never pans or tilts. It hardly ever moves. It just kind of s- records what it sees. And the the visual style is is uh, stylized. I mean, it's it's very much kind of aestheticizing the jungle and making things symmetrical whenever possible. Well, and and there's not like a feeling... Like high right, contrast black and white photography that really... You know, I mean, every other jungle film that I can think of every other film that I can think of that's set on a river journey that's in a jungle or even without a river journey, something like predator, maybe it's, it's in rich tones, right? It's, it's, it's colorful as you see all the greens and the reds and the blues and the grays. Like this is just high contrast, black and white and is shockingly beautiful. I mean, it is unbelievably gorgeous. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's it doesn't have that kind of like a loose or spontaneous feeling. I feel I feel like it's all very kind of carefully done, carefully yeah. composed. And you know, uh, one question that always seems to come up whenever somebody makes a black and white film these days is like, well, why black and white, right? Like, why why show the world in that light when most well, films are in color? Uh, according to the director, Ciro Guerra, um, uh, he said that he wanted to to create the same the same style as the the photographs of uh, Theodore uh, oh, Kochenberg yeah. and Richard Evans Schultz. So he wanted to take you there, like uh, to feel it. And I guess it's it's it succeeded. Yeah. No? Yeah. Yeah. I would say and so. I guess I don't know if we've mentioned yet that this is based on a true story. Yeah, on the well, diaries of I, yeah, how true is maybe a question? Yeah, I, I sure, think okay. he makes a lot of things, and yeah, there's a really events that ex, uh, happen, but he's like uh, mixing everything. This is why I also liked it because it's it's really complex what he's doing, and and uh, he's taking everything from everywhere and put it there, and it it makes sense. Yeah. You know, I think that this method of making a film is like very popular these days. This kind of method of, as you say, taking everything, taking everything that we've 
scene in their lives. And, and this director is the same, about the same age as us, Andrew. Yeah. So he's kind of of this generation, this millennial generation where he's seen every film and he's yeah. like kind of using his own memory as a database to, to concoct something new and different. And uh, there's also, there's the, uh, the 2001 reference uh, at, at the climax when we suddenly see flashes of color during this character's dream sequence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely visually really cool. Is there something you were going to add, Leticia? Well, yeah, it's only the entire movie. I felt so connected. It was about, uh, Latin America's history and yeah. this religion, uh, misunderstanding, uh, this creation of cults and, and, uh, yeah, the, like, uh, the misunderstanding of Catholicism, mm -hmm. and it, it, for me, I I understand it completely. And when was the moment that you mentioned these uh, graphic lines that were there? I have seen it all the time in their artesany, and and I didn't connect them with something beyond, you know, reality. And it was, uh, I mean, a, a really beautiful experience. That part for me, oh, it blew my mind. Yeah, I was really impressed. I bet that was. Gara's intention. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. he really wanted sure. to blow your mind. I wanted to ask you if if you have you seen something like this, like uh, in another movie, like a trying to to uh, make a representation of of this spiritual world like that. Because I just uh, was thinking in De Fontaine and uh, yeah. and Arnos, Arnos, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and but I wanted to know if it exists something like this. Well, there's two examples that I can think of. Um, that that came to mind when I was watching that that sort of psychedelic sequence. Um, one of course is I think the obvious one would be two thousand one, a space odyssey, mm -hmm. and the mm -hmm. the voyage towards the end of the the film that Dave goes on. Um, but the other one was I kept thinking of the Tree of Life, the Terrence Malick film, and the very beginning mm -hmm. of that film, which, yeah. which is like the birth of life and the birth of the universe, and it kind of. As frustrating as I find I Malik, <laughs> yeah, it's it was it was still this kind of very psychedelic sequence of just kind of like floating through the universe and kind of experiencing the creation of life in mm -hmm. essence. Um, and I was actually when when that when I watched this film this time around, uh, that immediately came to my mind. Uh, for whatever reason, I just I just thought that they it, it had a similar kind of spiritual, um, you know, tone to it. Yeah, and it made me think, for some reason, about uh, Jodorowsky, and oh, like yeah. uh, even though El Topo and the Holy Mountain are, they may not qualify as a religious film. They're stick. They have a, maybe a pagan quality to them. A certain kind of of. Uh, certain kind of spirituality, you know, a, a bizarre kind of <laughs> collection of, of symbols and, and, and grotesque things. Well, same with Santa but, Sangre as well. Yeah. Santa Sangre. Uh, of course. Whole, yeah. Santa um, Sangre. Yeah. So I was thinking about him, but yeah. yeah, this is, this is the kind of movie where, yeah, the, the spirituality is expressed with visuals, you know, and, and, uh, with symbols in kind of an indirect way. Well, and I think that's a really powerful way. And that's, that's what a really cinematic film can do. 
And I think it's even more powerful within the context of the film because the characters throughout are kind of separated from their spirituality, right? Karamakante, young Karamakante has been, he's the last remaining member of his tribe. He feels totally disconnected from them, from nature, from, from everything. And he's holding a grudge. He's resentful. He's uh, helping Van Martius, you know, but only just, and he laughs at him and, ridicules him and all along the way, right? Um, old Karamakate has forgotten, right? His sort of lamentation is that he's forgotten all of the the things about his culture. Like when he dies, his culture dies with him is essentially the, the implication. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even when he's, there's that moment when he's drawing the, those beautiful drawings on the, on the wall, that, that large rock surface um and uh <laughs> the the young scientist whose name i can't remember right now um evan uh, evan yeah, yeah yeah i'm not doing well with names tonight guys uh <laughs> <laughs> he when he asks karamakate about them he essentially says they're just drawings on the wall right they're not they have no spiritual significance anymore because i've lost contact with that part of me and then, of course, the two white men in the journey are men of science, so they don't consider themselves to be spiritual to begin mm-hmm. with. So when that sort of spiritual epiphany comes towards the end of the, the film, it is all the more effective and sort of shocking within the context of the film because to that point, nobody in the film has been closely tied enough to their own spiritual center that mm-hmm. <laughs> that they had any <laughs> sort of for lack of a better phrase religious experience uh in the film right in fact what we see consistently is sort of the perversion of religion and the perversion of customs and the perversion of of culture that has been wrought by the sort of invasion of these foreign concepts into the the these these native cultures yeah, you know the the <laughs> the mission when when they're when we're with the the younger Karamakate, the mission is this sort of perversion of you know it's it's become kind of a a, a, a sort of a slave ring, I guess, a, mm-hmm. of of young boys uh, that have been sort of taken away reportedly to be saved, you know, from the, uh-huh. the, the villages who have been decimated by the, the, uh, Colombians and the, uh, and the, the white men. And mm-hmm. then when we're with older Karamakate, we see the truly horrific and terrifying sequence with a man who has essentially perverted the ideas of Catholicism and has asserted himself as Jesus Christ on earth and mm-hmm. is being worshipped as such. But but this is a really a recurrent theme on, on the Latin American films. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you see it in Hodorowski, you see sure. it in Claudia Josa, in Ma- Made in USA. Yeah. You you see it also in, uh, in, in Regadas too. I mean, everybody is like a talking about something that is very present in the culture. It, and it exists right now. 
sure. like uh, this misunderstanding of religion and to create a cult uh, in a different way that it will be in U.S. No, yeah, it's totally different because yeah. it's it's really exotic and and is the madness and probably has a little bit more logic in U.S. than than in Latin America. I don't know, but it's it's a theme that I I have seen it and it has been explored a lot. Mm -hmm. I will say. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear. Do Do you think that you also see that theme present in uh, films by some of the Latino directors who have become more known in Hollywood, like Del Toro or Ingeritu? Uh, well, it's more. Um, it's a it's a it's a different type of director. I mm -hmm. I can think right now in them uh, mm -hmm. talking ab about this, but. I, for example, for me, it shocked me a lot. Claudia Josa went with Made in USA. Mm -hmm. It was something totally different. It was, and it was something that may be real for me. I mean, if if you see, there's a lot of communities that are so far, and they create their own way to 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 see Jesus and and to explore this this festivities. And it, it will sound weird for us, but it's the way that they have been living. So. It has. I have seen it, but not in the most. Uh, I don't know. I. I guess I will have to think about it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting to hear, though. That and you also the fact that you named those other directors too as examples yeah, of, of you know, yeah. that type yeah. of work. It's not also exploring cinema novel, like a Brazilian. I, have, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's a it's a really different kind of 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 stories and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah this is why uh, this movie in particular it, it has so much dignity also when when it talks mm. about uh, uh, communities and and this person and also it, it's very gentle with the white man too because i yeah. i didn't see it like a it's a it's a kind of eminence uh, it's, it's 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 somebody that we have to live in probably is the next step you know, to continue something, mm. they mm. they have probably the 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 responsibility to continue what is next because all together we are connected. It's it's so different. It's so different than Fitzgerald, for example. Yeah. This mm. this guy, in his uh, madness of of the opera and the art and and everything, he was just exploding, and nobody sees that. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody just sees the opera and the dreams and. and I don't know. I, I can see it. Well, I, I would hate to... I, I, I think that Werner Herzog is a horribly pessimistic person. So I, I think... When I watch Fitzgerald, though, I, I think it, even though it has probably one of the only what could be construed as happy endings of, of Herzog's uh, <laughs> entire filmography, I yeah, still think, I still think it's, it's fairly pessimistic. I mean, it, 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 I think it, he almost paints... Uh, Kinski is this buffoon, like this kind of like, you know, dot, like, yeah, I understand that a lot of people read it as like tri the triumph of dreams over yeah. everything, mm -hmm. but I actually feel like, I feel like Herzog concerns himself almost exclusively with people that he considers to be totally mad, right? People that he considers to be outsiders and loners and you know like in uh in the encounters at the end of the world when he 
gets obsessed with that penguin that is wandering off to its own death. I feel like that's in macrocosm. Everything that concerns Herzog the most. I feel like a penguin well, sure. wandering yeah, yeah. in the wrong direction to its eventual demise is like Herzog's entire uh, you know, filmography right there. But I wonder, is it my own perception or or is this movie, I mean Fitzcarraldo, for example, was great in in, in when in the eighties, no? When, yeah. when yeah. was it made? Yeah. Okay. So 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 probably I'm trying to, to do something that I should not, no? Like uh, leave it in in, oh, in no, the second. Okay. Oh no, all, no, that's fine. It's all up for grabs. Yeah. I think it's all fair game. I think Fitzcarraldo is is a film that's made like with enough uh, intelligence that it's it's meant to last. I think it still is can be part of the conversation. Yeah, and, um, and you could also place it as a movie of its time as well. It was made in that time. It was made by people who were influenced by the events in the world at that time. But also uh, the jungle, for example, and Fitzgeraldo. It seems so different than in, in embrace. Oh yeah. Of, of the serpent. Well, it's, I, a, it, it's an obstacle totally. in Fitzcarraldo. In For embrace me, of the serpent, yes, it's exactly. like something to be mm-hmm. lived with. Interference in something that we have to, to like, uh, I know, chop because yeah. there was trees and everything that, and he creates this path for the mountain to to carry the boat and, like, he mm. didn't care so, <laughs> yeah. about it, like, uh, destroying and doesn't matter. It's just jungle, but in this case, it's it's kind of uh, like a soul. I don't know. It, it it reminds me also this other movie, The City of of Z. Um, oh, Lost City of Z. Lost, yes. Yeah. That yeah. One, that one. In uh, and, and it has this 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 meaning. The jungle has the same meaning. It's kind of uh, a being. A, yeah. Something, there's, there's a reverence you know? for it. Yeah. I'm convinced that there, this is its own micro genre of film. <laughs> I really think so. I think there's, a, this is a type of story. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I think while the visuals are great and we've all been talking about that, I think the dialogue is very sharp and it's very specific to keeping track of the different personalities and the different nationalities of the characters like, for example, um, and of course, because I'm reading the dialogue as I watch the subtitles, I think maybe I'm paying more attention to the dialogue because I can see it written. Sure. But uh, there's a great kind of way that the director sums up some of the differences between Karamakate and Theo. Um, there's a scene where... Uh, and Manduka, for, for that matter. I, I find Manduka sure. to be one of the most interesting characters in this film, but... I'll get to that after you, you made your point. So um, uh, there's a scene where Karamakate is talking about, I, I think I'm pronouncing this right, the Chulachaki, Chulachaki. Yeah, Chulachaki. Uh, yeah. Um, Chulachaki, yeah. As, as like, a, uh, as like a, another version of the self, a hollow man that represents your other self. And Theo processes and explains his in by, by reducing it to saying that it's a memory. He says that's a memory. Yeah. And he just kind of intellectualizes very brutally what uh, Karamakate sees as this humanistic but spiritual other, you know, as an explanation. Like, and throughout the film, like, the dialogue between Theo and Karamakate is just like, 
they're communicating, but they're also not exactly on the same level the whole time. Like they're not sort of they're they're expressing things. And and Theo is is a very dramatic person. Like he's like he's an extremely he's kind of a melodramatic dude. The way he's like <laughs> sort of just like going into like near hysterics over everything. Um, and that's another way that he kind of communicates to Karen Makate. But um, I just think that the director who also wrote the script did a, a good job of reminding us of where these two guys came from. And even though they're literally in the same boat together, they're kind of representing different ways of thinking about similar things. Yeah. And yeah. value systems mm-hmm. too. I mean, I think that they're, you know, I mean, I think that the, a recurring image or a recurring th- theme that is brought up is the attachment of the white man to his things, right? Yes, Both, the technology. Yeah, exactly. His technology. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, he throws a fit when his compass is stolen. He, uh-huh. uh, the, uh, the other guy, the young Evan, oh, <laughs> Evan, <laughs> it gets <laughs> throws a fit when his luggage is thrown out. You know, it. it they have this attachment to things and it, and it consistently reinforces this idea of the differences between the cultures and the differences between these characters and their value systems, because they have very different value systems. Sure. But, but you know what, uh, exactly that scene, it may, it, it, I, I, I have it on my mind for like, uh, all the weekend because it's, uh, it said, even said like, uh, Oh no, you should return it to me because, uh-huh. Uh, you should not have it. If you have it, you're going to use the technology, and and you 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 should be continuing uh, um, uh, having your knowledge with winds and, and you know, stars, and yeah. stars, and yeah. everything. If you con- if you take it, you're going to lose it. And I was like, uh, so what is the right answer? <laughs> so what well, is do you think? Do you think he was be? being sincere? Was he sincere? You think, or did he just want to get his compass back? To be honest, I guess both are right. Yeah, yeah. I think and, I think he probably convinced like a, himself. <gasps> yeah, yeah. He probably convinced himself that that's what that's why he wants it back. But I think that you know, Kara Makate's follow up to that is you can't keep knowledge from them, yeah. right? You yeah. can't keep them from learning. Like that's not your place, and. Karamakate, I think, is very right in that. <laughs> but it's also, you know, it's this idea that uh, Theo has talked himself into believing that he's there, like that he can essentially insert himself to this culture, observe like a good scientist okay. would do, and then extract himself. And it will have been like he was never there in the first place. But. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. It and, that and he wants to have it both ways. Right. And that's a problem. That's a big problem because that's essentially how colonialism in some ways has always functioned. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that like, we're just going to take the resources. We won't mess with the culture, you know, that <laughs> that's kind of. Yeah. You know, there's a really interesting documentary, Netflix. Uh, the name is uh, first contact lost, uh, tribe of the amazon and mm-hmm. and it's about this the some people that start coming coming out from from the jungle and they don't know they are they call them un, un, 
on 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 contact or something like that. Like uh, uh, they have mm. never been in contact with with the the civilization. And once they find out how to how to communicate with them, they said to them, "We want to use clothes. We want yeah. to eat every day. We want to like." Uh, and, and the anthropologists say, "Why not?" Because there's a law, uh, there's a conflict between Brazil, Colombia, and Peru about about the Amazon. So mm-hmm. also about the tribes. And they said, like, I leave it there. Don't give it medicine. They they should continue in this way. And the anthropologists say, why? This is yeah. Darwin. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we should if they want to live with us, why we are gonna maintain them there? Yeah. So I think I think also. You, this is why I'm telling you that for me it's very romantic also, mm-hmm. but but because it's shamanic, I I I, I mean I don't care. <laughs> I really <laughs> like the story. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, and speaking of shamanic, um, there's a great recurring image. It's very tactile for me uh, when they keep blowing this medicine in the nose of Theo. Yes. Uh, to kind of help cure his ailment. I mean, it's like I, they're definitely blowing something into that actor's nose. They're not faking it because there's like this powder that gets like blowback from his nose. That's yeah, and then he violently that... grabs his his <laughs> wrists and like has this moment that it just looks like it's yeah. just the most uncomfortable thing in the world. It really yeah. does. But uh, but that also kind of reminds me. It reminds me of the uh, the the dynamic between the character of nobody in Dead Man, the Indian, oh, yeah. and then with William Blake, their relationship reminds me of Theo and Karamakate. Um, and I would be curious to find out if what were the films that influenced him as he was writing and directing it, because I feel like there's everything that we've pointed out, I think is a valid reference. Yeah, there's one more that I've got that may seem a little weird, but yeah. there's a movie called Mean Creek that came out in 2004. I've heard of it. It was it's like this movie about these kids who go on like a float trip and then it 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 turns horrible. One of the ch- one of the kids dies basically and it becomes this kind of morality play of like cuz they're the only ones around there are no adults around. So it becomes this kind of like interesting morality play as they float down the river, you know, essentially. I'm telling um, you, these river journey movies, they're all about going Deliverance to Deliverance is another big one, right? That's Deliverance, That one's course. a very sort of spiritual film. Yeah. Uh, and, ma- macho spiritual, and, maybe, but... And in your eyes, do you think it was a really modest production? Or or do you think it was, it was a really good production? I've got what, really well made. Em- Embrace of the Serpent? Yes. Oh, I think it's... I think it's very well made. I think it's, I think it is, as, as Phil was kind of alluding to earlier, like everything is composed so meticulously. Everything is so deliberate in this film. It doesn't feel like there's a second of this film that was not intended to be there. It doesn't feel like they shot anything extra. <laughs> it feels like they made exactly the movie that that they intended to make. And it's only that it doesn't have yeah. the budget of the repo <laughs> Genetic oh, opera. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like a 10% of the budget. And I was wondering, is this a good budget for a movie? Or well, I, I think, really wanted I to think ask. They, they made great use of whatever budget they had. I mean, sure, yeah. like there is, there's no big special effects. There's no expensive 
set pieces. Like it seems like they just needed to pay for the cost of the equipment and maybe the actors and maybe getting it, getting around in the jungle. And so I think it's modest, but I, I also think that it's well done too. Um, and I think that's a great honor for it to have had the international success too, that it, that it has. I think it speaks to the fact that it's, they used their budget wisely and they, 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 they made a very intentional story. Um, one of the other cool, like visual things that I enjoyed, whereas like, yes, most of the film, I still think that the most of it is kind of painterly and unfolding kind of like a photograph with motion in the photograph. But there's a really cool visual illusion where one of the only moving shots is when the camera is following Karamakate as he's going through the jungle. It happens early in the film where we see the young Karamakate, yeah. but then also when we see the older Karamakate, there's the same perspective from behind following yeah. him go through the jungle. And um, obviously that's a very intentional kind of illusion that they were doing. Yeah. And, and what do you think about, or what is the meaning of this uh, scenes that is a big serpent and and a jaguar and like uh, what do you think about that? Because it, I remember I was in the cinema uh, watching it and it, and just to see those images so huge and big, the people really start like uh, uh, feeling uncomfortable mm -hmm. uh, about them because they are very grotesque. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to know, what do you think about that? Andrew? Well, <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel like the, the, the image of the, the serpent and the jaguar, those are, uh, of course, two of the most powerful animals of the jungle, right? So uh, to have them kind of at war with one another, or maybe not at war with one another, but it, living in kind of a uh, tense symbiosis, I guess, <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're, they could be enemies by how powerful they are, but they're, they're not necessarily. Um, it's made literal towards the end of the film. We see images of a Jaguar. We see images of a serpent. Uh, but uh, I don't know the Jaguar. That reminds me of burden of dreams because the burden of oh, dreams sure. has a lot of footage of animals consuming other animals. Yes, because as as Werner Herzog says in that film, every the jungle is always trying to kill you. <laughs> it's yeah. overwhelming in collective murder. <laughs> I, I have two theories. I guess they are, uh, I'm not sure if this is the right word in English, totems. Uh -huh. Like yeah, uh, sure. yeah. representations of uh, something metaphorically like or or two cultures. Sure, probably sure uh, because but i'm not sure if it represents evil to be honest the serpent um yeah I, and, actually and, i don't think i don't i think the serpent because the serpent represents the river right it represents the amazon yeah, itself yeah, i true. i don't think that karamakate yeah. certainly doesn't view it as evil right no he views it no. as the source of life the source of everything essentially you, you see like an evil you you see in a in the christian way yeah, and uh, and the other theory that I have is that this is another world, this is uh, mm. another dimension, like uh, uh, what I when I was searching, they call it the animals. This 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 world is like uh, the low world, and the middle world is the, where beings and and plants are, mm. and the higher world is what when we see this these colors. 
Oh, yeah. And it may be three dimensions. This is why I think it's so complex, too. Yeah. I mean, well, I think to, to speak to the, your, your guys' question about the, the Jaguar, like, to me, I, to me it, it really did speak to the Herzogian idea that the jungle is this animal-eat-animal <laughs> place. It's, it's a wild place, and, and um, to, you can even say that it's, it's a foreshadowing of the eventual colonization of that community. You know, the people who come after Theo, you know, they could be the jaguars that come and overtake the serpent. Um, but, I mean, I think that the, the world of the dream sequence, the part that's in color in the, in the climax, yeah, I think that's, that is another world. That's another realm. It's a whole other... It's a whole other type of storytelling. I think that's why it's in, it's in color because it's meant to stand out. It's meant to be separate from the rest of it. Yeah, and, and it's very connected with the culture. I mean, this is yeah. when we were talking about different movies that that talk about that. This one in particular, it's 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 inspired really in them. It's like mm -hmm. a, the the represent the the representation of of everything. Yeah. It's in this nice, this bidimensional world too, the colors and the movement and everything. I, I wanted to say like one scene in particular in this movie like really stands out with a lot of dramatic power because of the the acting and the and the writing. Like I think we've been talking a lot about the visual power of this movie. Sure. And it also has a very evocative sound design, too, with the rushing of the water and it the does. sound of the birds. It's very the transportive, insects, yeah. the way they, they really dial that up to kind of make you hear it. But one scene has the dramatic power of something like the, uh, the riverboat massacre from Apocalypse Now, mm. which is when they go to the rubber, rubber farm Oh yeah, and he knocks all the the pails away so that they yeah, don't man, collect can, rubber yeah. as like a, a political statement. And then this horribly disfigured one-armed man comes rushing out, just panicking because he knows that he's going to get whipped if they don't collect rubber. And so he's trying with his one arm to set up all the buckets and try and salvage as much rubber as he can. And this guy is a native guy, just like Karamakate, you know? I mean, he's kind of like, he's, he's his brother. And, and, and I think more importantly, like Manduka used to be, right? right. Because Manduka is the one who, who, yeah. who is, kicks over like all a, of the, the Malinche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that scene, I think, really just, that yeah. really hit me hard as, as, a, as like a scene that was like... It's very strong. It's strong, exactly. Yeah, especially since he begs to be killed. I mean, like, I think it's meant to be inferred and is pretty clear that this isn't someone who lost his arm by accident. It was inflicted right. upon him by the colonizers his eye, and know? his eye. Yeah, yeah. They've taken, yeah. they've taken his right arm. They've taken his left eye. Like they're punitive in a, an absolutely terrifying medieval way. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it is a, it's an extremely powerful scene. It's, it's very memorable. All the native actors are great in this movie, too. All the mm -hmm. actors are great in this movie. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. But I'm especially impressed with the native actors because they just seem they're, – they're natural 
They're like natural movie stars. Well, young the way that they can be, they can be not overacting. They can be subtle, but they can be very convincing. And yeah. Yeah. Young Karamakate to me is, I have almost never seen anybody project strength mm-hmm. just in their posture and the way that they hold themselves and the way that they walk and the way that they, their eyes, like he is just, this is the only film he's ever done. Yeah. And it's such an extraordinary performance. I mean, there's a reason that he's featured on all of the the press materials for the the movie is because he is he's so iconically strong and you know. Sure. I mean, he, he and you see heart. how angry he is, and and oh, yeah. when when he's older, you see it in another in another way, totally like uh, probably. Uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure if the word is sad, but. It's disappointed, and, mm-hmm. and and you see it. It's, there's a lot, a lot of things that they are uh, communicating in yeah. just the mm-hmm. present. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and Phil, I, I want to jump back really quickly to a point you sure. made a little while ago about the doubling of those those images where we're we're following behind young Karamakate and then old Karamakate. I think that that's happens frequently in the film. I already mentioned the fact that we have the butterflies. Uh, at the beginning of the film, we have the butterflies at the end of the film. We also have this wonderful, wonderful thing that was the first thing that I remembered about the film. And I, I remembered that this is the film that we were going to watch. This moment right at the beginning of the film when Karamakate is standing at the shore of the river and he stands up to attention. And we just, the, the camera just watches the river and it takes a very long time for a boat to come into view and for us to realize that there is somebody here, something that he noticed long before they were within sight. Right? Do you mean this is like at the very beginning? Very beginning of the film. First yeah. shot of the film, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then that's repeated again the first time that we see old Kermakate. He's painting on the this rock face and turns and stands at attention and stands there you know, Mm -hmm. straight as an arrow. And we watch the river for, it has to be 15 seconds or 20 seconds with nothing Mm -hmm. happening. And then a boat slides into view. And those repetitions Mm -hmm. of images, I think happen frequently throughout the film. And it's, it's a way to center us. It's a way to ground us. It's a way to see that this is all cyclical, right. Mm -hmm. To see that we're coming back to these things that history is repeating itself, that, uh, it's, exactly. It's yeah. a way to clue us into the fact that uh, no matter how well intentioned these people are, they may be not so much. Uh oh, Leticia, I think we lost you. And also, like again. Okay. okay. Oh, we had a we had a brief pause. It was a brief hiccup, but now up. we've got you back. So oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was mentioning uh, that. It also, um, I forgot completely. I was talking about the, I was <laughs> talking about the, the cyclical uh, nature and the repetition uh, yeah. of the images. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I forgot completely what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, it gives uh, another chance to to continue um, th- there was something that he should do before that he didn't do yeah. and now is his chance to do it again yeah. and it's like mm-hmm. a, a life or i don't know the jungle give it give him another chance even if he doesn't remember 
Yeah. And he was going to remember everything. So because I felt like at the end he's treating uh, um, Ivan like uh, he's mm-hmm. uh, the first the first explore, explorator. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right about that. And yeah, it's almost like this is like you could call this movie Karamikate's second chance. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because he definitely he does things differently. That's when a, he has yeah, another opportunity. Time. That's a much less poetic and dare I say romantic <laughs> name than Embrace of the Serpent. <laughs> Karamikate's second chance. Karamikate's you don't think that just rolls chance. off the tongue? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to before we wrap it up, I wanted to to point out there's no musical score in this film. Yeah. There's a little bit of music from the phonograph, but other than that, there's no musical score. The only thing that seems to run throughout the background is the sound of the river and sound mm. of birds and other and animals in the jungle. There's a little music, but like a very traditional one in mm-hmm. certain scenes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's true. There's not too much. Yeah, This is what we would call non-diegetic music mm. because the, the diegesis is the world of the film, which is what the characters can hear. But there's no non-diegetic score that only the audience can hear. Right. For me, one part of the sun is just to hear all these dialects, all these languages, oh, all yeah. everything together. For me, that is part of, of the sound, too. Yeah, and there's wonderful, there's a couple of wonderful sequences where they're switching between dialects and languages, depending on who they're talking to, even within yeah. like a, tri- a triad of, of people talking to one another. Uh, it's it's very interesting to hear it go from German to Spanish to the native tongues. Like it's it's just back and forth and back and forth. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think um, overall, I think all three of us really like this movie, and oh, yeah. it's uh, it's definitely a notable film from the past few years. This was also Colombia's first ever best foreign film nominee yeah. at the Oscars. And, and it lost uh, a son of Shaul. That's right. Uh, which, uh, we did that show. We did that. We did that movie on this did. podcast. My favorite. My favorite foreign film that year was Mustang, but nobody cared. Oh, yeah, I love it. Love, yeah. Mustang was so good, right? <laughs> yeah, oh. I, I I love a lot foreign movies, and and yes, that was one of the good ones. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. yeah it was well, really Leticia, we'll have to have you back on to talk about another film. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, when you when you decide what the next one's going to be, be sure and let us know. Yeah, it was a pleasure to have you, Leticia. It will be a foreign movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that about wraps it up uh, about Embrace of the Serpent. Um, stay tuned, folks, for our next episode. It's going to be another. Uh, it's going to be a new release. Actually, we're going to talk about Deadpool Two, which could not be further from the film we just talked about. I think. <laughs> But uh, but big thanks again to Leticia for being on the show, and we will see you next time. Catch you then.